Father, we thank you that we get to gather here on this Thursday night on a campus of 56,000 and some change students. And God, we recognize that uh, showing up here tonight are people in all sorts of different walks of life, people having all sorts of different relationships with you, people having all sorts of different questions and struggles and experiences that are shaping the way that they show up here tonight. But God, what we have in common is that each and every one of us needs to hear from you. So would you send us your Holy Spirit even now so that we could hear your voice and know Jesus Christ, who he is and why he matters. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Uh, Those were the words that uh, famous thinker of the 20th and early 21st century, David Foster Wallace, said to a group of college students at their commencement at Kenyon College back in 2005. And David Foster Wallace uh, was not a Christian. Uh, Actually, sadly, he ended up uh, taking his life. Uh, But what he said at that commencement speech so many years ago now was so true. And it's something that the Bible drives home again and again. Listen to his words again. He said, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. And as we come to this initial story about the man who would become King David, we could rephrase what David Foster Wallace is saying this way. There is no such thing as not serving a king. Everyone serves some king. The only choice we get is what king are we going to serve? And here's the problem. I hope this will resonate with your experience a little bit. Each and every one of us has kings in our lives, influences, powers, uh, things that we're serving in one way or another that abuse us, uh, that fail to deliver on their promises. Sometimes the kings that we serve have chosen us in some sense. We find ourselves in difficult circumstances between a rock and a hard place, and it doesn't feel like we had any agency or choice in the matter. It just is hard, and we feel oppressed and helpless, and and we're suffering. But sometimes uh, the kings that we serve are kings that we've chosen for ourselves, and yet we find that they failed to deliver on their promises. Uh, They're not giving to us, providing for us the satisfaction or significance or security that each and every one of us was made to long for and seek after. So here's the good news I want to share with you all. This is kind of the, the message of tonight in a nutshell. And I hope you won't unplug after I say it, but this is the main thing. Uh, whether you're here tonight as someone who's been following Jesus for most of your life or you're new to it, you're not sure who he is, this, this is the message for all of us. God has chosen a king for us to rescue us from our tyrants. Though we have chosen kings time and again that failed to deliver on their promises, 
God has chosen a king and sent us a king who will rescue us from the tyrants that choose us and from the tyrants that we choose for ourselves. So that's, that's the big idea for tonight. You've got an outline in front of you if you like to take notes or you find that helpful. We're going to spend a lot of time in that first section, the chosen one, and we'll spend a little bit of time at the end thinking about the anointed one, these two different angles on that big idea I just mentioned. Uh, what is this passage from 1 Samuel ultimately about? It's about God's choice of a king for the good of his people based on what God sees, uh, which is very different than what we see. Uh, you can kind of catch on to that theme even just by looking at the English translation that we read from. Uh, I'm no Hebrew scholar or Hebrew expert, but I know a little bit of Hebrew. And uh, if you look at the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was originally written in, the verb to see shows up nine times in our passage. And as is often the case in the Bible, that amount of repetition is trying to catch our attention and help us to see something really important, that God has chosen a king for his people uh, based on what he sees, which again is, is very different than what we see. But when you've been read that passage a moment ago, we jumped into the middle of this book of 1 Samuel. Uh, so I want to give just a little bit of background to lead us up to what is really kind of the beginning of this David story that we'll be unpacking the rest of the semester. God in the Old Testament, skipping over a bunch of stuff, uh, made really big promises to this man named Abraham that through Abraham, and through his family, his descendants, he would bless all the nations. And eventually Abraham, Abraham's family grew into the size of a nation, but that nation was enslaved in Egypt. So God rescued those people, the Hebrews from slavery, and he established them as a nation, as the people of Israel, in order that he would continue to do what he promised to Abraham, to bless all of the world, all of the nations through not this family now, but this nation, Israel. But over time, Israel, in lots of different ways, wandered from God. And eventually, although God himself was their king, uh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the living God, the only true God, he was their king. They wanted a king like the nations surrounding them, a king that they could see with their own eyes, a king who could provide some of the things that they were longing for. And although this request for a king was in a sense a rejection of God, God did not reject his people. Uh, but he actually gave them the thing that they were wanted. And he initially gave them this king named Saul, who was mentioned at the beginning of our passage. Now Saul was a king like the kings of the nations surrounding Israel. He was tall, the Bible tells us. Uh, he was a foot or a head taller than all the people around him. He was handsome. He was a mighty warrior. He was just the kind of guy you would actually want to be leading you if you were wanting someone to like fight your enemies and, and like kind of be a thug and uh, a, a warrior. But Saul did not have a heart after God's own heart, like David would, as we'll see. Saul uh, did not know what it meant to submit to God as the ultimate king. You see, God wasn't opposed to kings in general, 
Uh, but he wanted to establish kings that recognized his ultimate authority and, and actually led God's people, Israel, in their relationship with him and, and living out their calling to be a blessing to all the nations. But Saul did not do that. And in time, God tells Saul that he's going to take the kingdom from him and give it to another. Give it to someone, as God says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, who is after his own heart. And that kind of takes us up to uh, where you've been started reading for us. We have this guy, the prophet Samuel, who's grieving, who's mourning because Saul, whom Samuel had anointed to be king, whom Samuel had counseled, whom Samuel probably loved and appreciated in many respects, this Saul was being deposed. God was taking the kingdom from him. So Samuel is mourning. He, he might be sad because he cares about Saul personally, but he's also sad because he recognizes the dangerous position that this puts the people of God in, that they don't have a leader to lead them in defending them against their enemies and God's enemies. They don't have a leader to help them in following after God and his laws. And that's where the good news of our passage comes in. The Lord shows up to Samuel and he says that I have provided for myself a king among the house of Jesse who lived in Bethlehem, which was kind of at the time a no-name town outside Jerusalem, which would come to be a much more important city. And we're already seeing by that very fact that this chosen king who's to replace Saul is coming from Bethlehem, that this king is an unlikely king. Uh, he's not whom you might expect, but even within Jesse's family, as our passage would go on to show, there were, there were people that were more likely uh, we could start with really the, the ultimate example, Jesse's oldest son, a guy named Eliab. Now, Eliab, the way that he's described is really intentional. We're told that he's tall and he's handsome, which sounds a lot like the way that Saul is described earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. So he's being presented as this kind of Saul 2.0, another guy who would be a king like the nations surrounding Israel. Eliab, uh, to put it in modern terms, was probably like uh, the prom king at Bethlehem High. Uh, he probably was like uh, the all-star wide receiver, all-star Judean team. Uh, felt like, that, like he is the guy among Jesse's sons that you would expect to be chosen as the king. But the Lord rejects him. I quoted earlier uh, the, the opening lines of this speech from David Foster Wallace. Uh, but I want, I want to quote a little bit more from that speech now, uh, because the reality is each and every one of us, uh, we're a lot like Israel, who wanted a king like Saul. We're a lot like Samuel, the, the wise prophet who, who was convinced that Eliab should be king. We're a lot like these people and that we often don't know which kings we should serve, uh, which kings are worthy of us following. So listen to these words from David Foster Wallace. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. 
worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out, end quote. What is he saying? He's saying, well, uh, what the Bible makes plain, that we so often become crushed and oppressed and blinded and hurt by the very things that we pursue in life, the very priorities that we set, the very things that we end up worshiping or honoring in the place of God. In the second book of The Lord of the Rings, uh, there's this King Theoden. I see some of you smiling. I don't know if that's out of familiarity or rolling your eyes because I'm telling yet again another Lord of the Rings illustration. Uh, but there's this King Theoden who has this advisor worm tongue. And Theoden, when he was younger, was a regal, uh, valiant warrior of a king, a man of great glory and honor. But when we meet him in this second book of the Lord of the Rings, he's decrepit, uh, he's bent over, he is paling in comparison to his former self, he's practically useless. And what uh, Theoden would eventually figure out through the help of Gandalf is that he was actually this weak, decrepit shadow of his former self because of the counsel, the advice, the almost spell-like words that his advisor, Wormtongue, was whispering into his ear. It was having this awful effect on him. Uh, now, and after Wormtongue was removed from his court, Theoden kind of returns to his glorious self and goes off valiantly into war. Now, I, I do promise that I will not always give you Lord of the Rings illustrations uh, in every large group talk going forward. Uh, but I find this really helpful for bringing out what God's word is showing us here. Uh, when we choose to serve a king other than the king that God has chosen for us, we're a lot like Theoden. Uh, we think we're going to get something that we want, security, significance, satisfaction, money, power, intellect, fill in the blank. But what, what ends up happening is it actually robs us of the dignity that God made us for. Uh, it actually makes us uh, to be just shadows of our true selves, uh, the true selves that we can be if we pursue that reality ultimately through the king that God has chosen for us, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. That's what our sin, our idolatry, our, our choice of the wrong kings does to us. It robs us of our dignity. But God meets us in our need by sending us the king that he's chosen. And in our passage, and we'll keep seeing this throughout the semester, uh, David is the king that God had chosen to meet his people in their needs so long ago. He was the unlikely of the unlikely. He's not just from Bethlehem, the no-name town. Uh, he's not just from the family of Jesse, who wasn't that important of a guy, but he's the youngest son of Jesse. Uh, that word that's translated youngest uh, can also be translated smallest. Uh, David is nothing like his older brother Eliab or Saul. He is not someone where just looking at him, you would expect him to be king. He's an unlikely king. But one thing we see here is that God loves to use the unlikely, uh, the humble, and the small, because it's through the unlikely and the humble and the small 
that God can put his might, his power on full display. 1 Samuel 13, 14 that I mentioned earlier tells us God intended to choose a king after his own heart. That doesn't mean David was sinless, uh, as we'll see time and again. Yeah, he was a sinner just like Saul, just like Eliab, but it means David knew he was a sinner and he knew he needed to depend and trust on God as his savior. Uh, And if you're new to RUF or, or still figuring us out, my hope is that this would feel like a place that is full of David's. Uh, Not people that are perfect or have everything all together, but people who know their need, who are broken, and who are coming together to have those needs met actually in the only place where they can be. So God met the needs of his people through David long ago, his chosen one, his chosen king. But ultimately, Acts chapter 13, 21 through 23 tells us, and other parts of the Bible, that David was just a signpost. Uh, that he was just a pointer, uh, that his descendant, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus Christ, would be the chosen king, uh, the king that God would send to rescue us from our tyrants, the ones that choose us and the ones that we choose for ourselves. And if David was an unlikely king, uh, Jesus is the unlikeliest king of all. Though he is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He wasn't born to a wealthy or noble family. Uh, He was born to poor parents who could barely afford to bring the required sacrifices to the temple. The prophet Isaiah tells us that Jesus wouldn't have an appearance Uh, that would would cause us to look at him, but he would be a man of sorrows. Other kings throughout the history of the world have conquered through might and force and violence, but Jesus Christ, the unlikeliest king of all, would come, and he would conquer not by taking the lives of others, but by laying down his life for us, not by showing brute strength, but by becoming weak, even to the point of death on a cross in the place of sinners. And the best news is that unlike David, Jesus wasn't just submissive to God. He wasn't just kind of in a general sense, a man after God's own heart. Jesus was fully sinless. So when he died on the cross in place of sinners, if your trust is in him, God looks at you and he sees the perfect record of his chosen King, Jesus Christ, and not the many, many screw ups that you have and that I know I have. I want to ask you before we turn and just spend a little bit of time on the anointed one at the end. Are the kings that you're practically serving in your life, whatever they are, are they fulfilling their promises? Are you you getting from them the things that you want to get from them? Whether you're here as a Christian tonight or or you're not sure, I want to encourage you, uh, turn to Jesus. Uh, He is a king who is worth following and serving with all of your life. So now let's think about the anointed one for just a few minutes. Uh, We see Samuel anointing at the end of this passage. Uh, That might be a word that you've heard of, but it's definitely not one that we use often in our everyday language. In the Old Testament, there were three uh, special leaders of God's people. 
uh, three offices, we could say, that were anointed, that were set apart for some special service among Israel. Uh, they were prophets, priests, and kings. They were all anointed. And when they were anointed, they weren't just being set apart for this special duty. The anointing itself was actually God pledging himself to that person, promising in a sense that although you on your own couldn't possibly fulfill this calling that I'm laying on you, I will help you. I will make it so that you can be faithful to this calling that I've given you. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this idea of anointing is connected with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And we see that at the end of our passage, that the Spirit rushes upon David right after he's anointed. Uh, if you're new to the Christian faith, uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force. Uh, he's not a power. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, the triune God, the only true and living God, have always existed in perfect love and harmony from all eternity. And this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has this special role throughout the history of God's rescue of his people to equip God's people to do the things that God has called them to do. And that's what we see happening here. David's anointed, the Spirit rushes upon him, and David is able to do the things that he's called to do. The thing that made David a good king at the end of the day, as big a sinner as he was, was not something about him. It was that the Spirit of God was working in his life. And the same is true for us. Anything good about you if you're a Christian, any progress you've made in your faith, any way that you're showing what Jesus is like to the people around you, it's because the Holy Spirit is working and that should make us humble and grateful among all people. But here's the kicker. Uh, for David, the pouring out of the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, was a really, really, really good gift. Uh, but it was not an easy gift. Right after this passage ends, in the sections that follow, we'll look at one of them two weeks from now at our next large group. David is immediately thrust into conflict uh, with Saul, uh, the king that went before him, with other military enemies of Israel, with uh, the giant Goliath, that maybe you've heard that story before. For David, uh, one commentator put it this way, the spirit comes and the trouble begins. And the same thing was actually true in Jesus's life. Uh, when Jesus was beginning his public ministry of teaching and miracles on his way to the cross, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And when he was baptized, it was a kind of anointing. And the Spirit came down from heaven like a dove and rested upon him, showing that he would be full of the Spirit in all of his ministry. And what happened right after that? Jesus is driven out into the wilderness, into conflict not with Saul or Goliath or other military enemies like David would be, but with Satan, uh, with the enemy of our souls. And he would conquer Satan by withstanding those temptations in the wilderness. And, and he would ultimately conquer Satan at the end of his life when he died and was faithful to his father. And then when he rose again from the dead. Now, here, here's a question I, I want to ask you as we prepare to close. 
What makes you think that the Spirit's influence in your life would lead to anything different than what was true for David and for Jesus? Now, I, I grant you that one of the things the Spirit does is to help us to have like an emotionally in-tuned presence in worship. He moves in our hearts. He helps us to like feel awesome things about God, but ultimately he's after much more than that. He's after making us like Christ and his influence in our lives drives us into conflict uh, with the world around us, uh, those things in our society that are opposed to God, with our own sinful flesh and with the devil. Uh, John Roderick was the front man of an indie rock band uh, called The Long Winters. And uh, he and one of his producers he was working with were preparing to put out an album a while back. And they brought in this outside drummer uh, to be working on this album with them. He had a great reputation. They hadn't worked with him before. And this drummer comes into the studio when they're beginning to record some of the album. And uh, things begin to get weird uh, pretty quickly. Uh, they've got all the different equipment in the studio all set up and the drummer goes over to one piece of percussion and like plays something that doesn't sound great at all and then he like calls for them to cut the recording and then he moves over here and he, he plays another drum beat and then he calls for them to cut the recording and john roderick and his producer are beginning to freak out they're like what is going on with this dude uh like are we being like pranked or something it sounded awful it just sounded like noise until this famous drummer uh, went into uh, the sound room and he laid all of the tracks on top of them, on top of each other, and he hit play. And it was a masterpiece. Uh, it was magic. John Roderick and his producer were, were blown away at how beautiful it sounded. What they were hearing were these isolated tracks that sounded like noise and random, but, but there was a mastermind at work who could see a bigger picture. Uh, friends, following Jesus with your whole life is worth it, but it's hard. It involves conflict. Uh, sometimes it's easier to do the things that come naturally. Sometimes it's easier to want to serve other kings that might even give us some pleasure in the short run. It can be really difficult to follow King Jesus, the king that God has chosen for us. But no matter the, the difficulties, the suffering in your life, the uh, things that just sound like noise and random and, and you can't put together why God is allowing you to go through this, if you're serving Jesus, you can know for sure that one day all those tracks are going to be laid on top of one another. And you'll see that the whole time God was orchestrating all of the details to be evidence and proof to you of his great love. Uh, that is always working in your life for your good and for his glory. There's no such thing as not serving a king. Everyone serves some king. The only choice that we get is which king to serve. God's provided a king for us in Jesus, a king even greater than David. And if you're here tonight and you're unsure whether he's worth following I want to be clear, it's going to be hard. But if, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ for the first time or the thousandth time, 
with the difficulty, with the conflict, will, will come peace and joy and life to the full. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that your spirit is indeed at work in our lives. And we thank you that we can actually be more confident that that is true when we experience conflict and trouble and hardship. That these things aren't signs of your displeasure towards us or your frown, but actually your smile and your spirit working to make us into the image of Jesus. God, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you or doesn't know whether they know you, that you would be working in their hearts to give them the gift of faith. And would all of us be equipped with new eyes to see the ways that all these other kings that we're tempted to serve fail us and how Jesus alone can meet every one of our needs and that he alone is worthy of following. We pray all of these things in his mighty name. Amen.